Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Thank you, Kelly and Bridget. They did a beautiful job. We've been, uh, actually, we've been waiting for that. It was a little postponed, but I'm so glad uh, that we were able to just be blessed by such great talent. It is, uh, it is part of our, it's great part of our community. And it's wonderful to see people serving the Lord with their talents. We're going to be uh, talking about our community and our people and house and home. Something, uh, something of a topic that I'm going to be speaking to you about for next several weeks. And uh, I, I've, I've been thinking about the idea of people's homes. If you were, uh, if you were up on Christmas Eve, we were driving home and were kind of affected by it, but there was this uh, sinkhole that occurred in the city of Fraser. And I think about that family. They, Christmas Eve, it's Christmas Eve morning, and they hear creaking and popping in their house. It sounds a little unusual. I mean, can you imagine that? Several hours later, they're, they're out of their house. They have to be evacuated. Their house is slowly sinking. And you know, this uh, sewer line, some soil erosion, and the sinkhole forms. Then other people have to be evacuated. By Christmas morning, there was over 20 homes evacuated. And I read yesterday, three have officially been condemned. 20 other families are hoping to get back into their homes next week. Doesn't your heart just go out to think about that? In one minute, you have a nice, warm, safe place, and the next, hey, you're out on the street. There is the, uh, the old, old song, Be It Ever So Humble, There's No Place Like Home. And there isn't. There isn't. You might take the best of vacations. You might go to the most exotic destinations. But there's something about coming home, isn't there? You sleep in a strange bed. You've, uh, you know, you've been to different and various places. But when you come to your own home, doesn't it feel good? You know, it fits like a glove. You know, it's like an old friend. You're, you're comfortable. And I think that's why advertisers use this idea of home. They want to imitate. They want to, they want to present imitations of home to us, don't they? I saw a recipe book, and it was titled, The Taste of Home. If you go to the grocery store and you grab any of those uh, Marie Colander products off the shelf, she's got the little, or actually the company, uh, has the little catchphrase on there, from my kitchen to yours, as if Marie Colander is standing at her kitchen uh, stove and cooking you some soup and baking you a pie. Listen, there's a Marie Colander factory, okay, and they're canning that stuff. And uh, it, 
but they want you to think it's just like home. When we uh, welcome guests into our house, we say, hey, make yourself at home. Hotel rooms uh, and motels and that, they want to present themselves as a place that feels like home. If we hear some news that might be uh, somehow really deeply pertinent to us, we might say, oh, wow, that, that really hit home. That really hit home with me. And why do we have these types of responses? Why do we say to people, make yourself at home? You know, why do companies try to mimic the home and say they're just as comfortable? Well, it's because our feelings relate to that. The house, the home, that's, I mean, it's the place where you can totally be yourself, isn't it? It's the place where you can let your hair down. And I'm comfortable in my home. I am most at ease. It's the place where we have our greatest personal possessions. It's where we receive our friends and our family. Uh, It's where we study. It's where we laugh. It's where we cry. It's where we pray. I mean, this is so much of our life is, is at home. What is not home? What then isn't home? Well, I will say the house. The house isn't the home. The house, the structure, the condo, the apartment, you know, the place that you hang your hat, that building, that's not necessarily the home. It's really just the structure. The building, ordinary, natural, and the whole architectural sense, it consists of foundation and walls, brick and mortar, trusses, a roof, uh, electrical, plumbing, HVAC, but that's not a home. It's a building. And it might be perfect. You might find a perfectly built, well-constructed, it's got every possible amenity, uh, three and a half baths, five-car garage, whatever. But it's really not a home. It's not a home until you make it a home, until you've personalized it. The building, the structure, it needs some personalization, doesn't it? It needs to be made to be the place where you can just exhale after a long day. You can open that door, and there you are with your friend. You can kick back in your favorite chair. You hang pictures on the walls. You put various colors. Those are your colors. Those are your pictures. It's what, it, it's what makes you the most comfortable. You want vertical blinds because you don't like horizontal? You put up vertical blinds. You know, you'd rather have a, a toaster oven than a microwave. So you got a toaster oven. It's because it's your place. That's what makes it your home. I remember when Julie and I moved to our second home. We had our first home was, we had no upstairs, we had no basement. It was kind of a small place. Our second daughter was born. We began to look for a new place. And eventually, we found a place, and 
it turned out that this was, this was uh, sometime in the later 80s, we stumbled upon a property in a, a house that was bank-owned. And this was before this whole foreclosure um, glut, so to speak, before the bubble burst in the 2000s. It was somewhat unusual, at least to us. And we counted it somewhat a blessing. Uh, we were able to, uh, to get into a place that we probably couldn't have afforded because uh, there were certain situations there, and uh, we were able to negotiate and get this place. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was actually out of town. Julie bought the house. She's, uh, she's actually done that twice. <laughs> two homes, two houses where I was gone, but she knows what she's doing. She had a real estate license at the time, so I fully trusted her. And anyway, we moved into this place, and I got a call from the man who had lived there before. And I didn't know his story. I didn't know what happened to him. I don't know how he fell on financial hard times, what caused him to uh, have the unfortunate occurrence in his life where the bank would take his house. But he was a very, very friendly man. And he said, hey, I left some things in the attic. Do you mind if I come over and pick them up? And I said, absolutely, no problem. You can... Uh, you can do that. So I went in the attic, got his things. I learned he had a wife, child in high school. He didn't move far away, but he really had to downsize, moved into a, a much smaller place, and he was renting. And uh, just turned out to be a really friendly family man. Well, we started to paint that place, make it our own, put our own colors, peel wallpaper, that kind of thing. And I got behind a door in one of the bedrooms. I, I pulled that door, and I saw all these marks on the wall, pencil, pen, crayon. And it was marking the growth of his daughter. They had been there a good number of years. And it, it, it really was a, a hard moment. I didn't want to paint over it. I mean, this was this man's life and his family's life. They're just documented on the wall. His little girl had grown up there. And I remember Julie and I talking about it. It was hard. I mean, eventually we had to take that paint roller and roll over it. We were making that house our home. And we were going to mark maybe our own daughter's growth marks on a door or behind a closet or wherever. But it was really a, a page-turning event, if you will, a, a moment where we really thought, wow, this was someone's home, and now we're making it our own. We, we personalized it. And once you've personalized a place, once you, regardless of whether you own it or you rent it, it's your home. And now you're there to keep it. Now you're there to take care of it. And you have a responsibility. We had a responsibility to care for this place. And if it's a house and you own it, uh, you're now stewards of building and property. Other arrangements, perhaps uh, condominiums or apartments, they demand different levels of responsibility, but responsibility nonetheless. In all of these uh, home situations, there's responsibilities for us to keep and to care and to uh, 
clean the place and uh, maintain it, whether it's major roof leaks or uh, furnaces, water heaters, plumbing. You own a house, you know all about those things. You've had to deal with them. Uh, Other things inside, keeping the uh, walls clean, doing dishes, even the little things like that. That's part of our responsibility to a place. We're responsible for that. We're responsible for the upkeep. It's our home. And so is the church. The church is our home. The building here that uh, when it was founded, when it was built, when it was given a permit of occupancy, it wasn't a church. It was a building. Not until people gathered here, not until people came together did it become this church home. You can go down that east hallway over there and you can see pictures. You can go in the Welcome Center and you can see other pictures. It's pictures of the past of Bethesda Christian Church. It's not some, uh, some other church or some unknown past. That's our past. That's, that's uh, decorations, if you will, Those are arrangements that are personalized for this home. That's what, when we look at those, we see how Bethesda Christian Church was formed and how it was shaped. Pictures of different times and various projects, past pastors, past leaders, past congregations. That's what helped shape this place to be the home that it is. It's our place of worship. It's where we join others of like mind and of like faith to honor God, to worship God, to praise God, to pray together, to hold hands and, and pray for families, to study God's word, to learn. And it is a home in the sense that we're comfortable here. We know one another. We get to know others' names and Uh, We share life's high moments. We share life's low moments. We laugh together. We cry together. On December 30th, our chapel was filled for a great moment. That was uh, Brittany Flowers and Peter Fascio's wedding. The Flowers' firstborn child was being married. A lot of people from the church there to celebrate with them. Why? This is the Flowers' church home. And so we were there to celebrate with them. Back in October, we dedicated some children. There was uh, the Davenport family, Elise Davenport. There was the Swartz family. We dedicated Maverick Swartz. There was the Goyke family, Layla Goyke, little kids born. We celebrate when children are born. They're part of the church family. And we took time to bless them, dedicate them unto the Lord. On that same day, the Taylor family was here, Maddie Taylor. Maddie had changes in her life, and she uh, had been here over 30 years with her family, but we wanted to pray with her and uh, bless her because life changed, and she was going to be attending a different church because her transportation issue had changed, and things were different, but we wanted to remember her and bless her on her way. We had high school graduations last year. We celebrated with those families. We had catechism confirmations. We come together to teach people, to train people, to disciple people. We celebrate with them as young children, uh, younger students or older adults are confirmed from their catechism class. 
It's a great time of celebration. We love it. Rub elbows with people. Get to know a name. And we're starting a new catechism class February 8th. Great time to learn his word, get to know people, become part of a family. These are all good moments, high moments. And then there's those hard moments. Last year, we laid a good number of people to rest. I had, early in the year, there were uh, folks like uh, Len Milburn, uh, Mary Schantz, Bob Michalik, good, good people at the church, Gus Albrecht and Joe Lance. Uh, I, I know the Goulet family, two funerals last year. Steve Sarah. We laid to rest uh, many others. And so many of you helped. You helped to comfort. Why? Because you're family. You helped to uh, support a family. You prayed with those families long before many of them even were here uh, for those memorial services. You helped with a pie at a funeral time. Maybe you were here to serve at the memorial meal. We're family. This, this is our home. We rejoice with them that rejoice. We mourn with them that mourn. That's Romans 12, 15. Last evening was a tough moment of mourning with Stephen Rhonda Ross. And I think the Lord... The Lord's hand was so much in last night. Julie and Lisa Schantz were out for uh, a time last night, and they heard either a text or a phone call that Adam went to the hospital. So they went over there to pray with him. And when Julie came home, she said Adam had been intubated. There was... He had some pneumonia, I guess they suspected, potential sepsis. And she said he was stable. It seemed like they had a good time with him to pray for him before he was intubated. It was maybe 10 minutes later she heard from the family something was going on that he'd coded. So we were close. We went over there to the hospital when we arrived at the emergency room, family had already been put into a little side room. We're with the family. When the doctor came in and said, you know, we did everything we could for Adam, and he didn't make it. What could we do but hold a father and hold a mother who had just lost their 32-year-old son and while they wept? And that was hard. It was a hard moment to hold, hold parents who just lost their son. And then uh, later on, Reverend Terry and his wife Rhea showed up. We were in that room, and Steve Ross, man, broken. He had been weeping and lost his son. He began to pray. And he prayed such a beautiful prayer. He started to thank God. Thank God for the life of his son. and Thank God. He said, Lord, thank you that I was there the day he was born. Thank you for his life. He said, thank you for the family that's surrounding me. And he said, thank you for my church family that's here. It means something. It meant something to him. 
and we can't, we're not there every time someone has a, a major issue, but I was just so glad that we were able to be there and to hear him pray that, it was, it was really, it really meant something. The church family means something. You know, it's the hard times and the good times. That's what makes this building and this structure the home. It makes it a home church. It makes us a, uh, a place that we we take care of together. We live life here together. We're responsible for this place. God has blessed us. He's blessed us with property and buildings and a place to gather for life's moments, the highs and the lows. It's a place to educate our children. We have a K through 12 school. What a great blessing. And we're stewards. We're stewards to take care of this structure so that it can stand into the future and still be a home, a home for others to join us and to join this family. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God said, or it says about the Lord, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. I mean, from the very first plot of land that God blessed mankind with, he said, take care of it. Work it. You need to care for this. Even before sin entered the picture, put man in the Garden of Eden to care for it. There was a responsibility put on the man Adam to care for what God had blessed him with. And after Adam sinned and things became uh, more difficult, we read later, Genesis 3, 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil will you eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. The responsibility didn't change. Just got maybe a little harder. But he was responsible for caring for what God had blessed him with. Psalm 24 is a great reminder for us. The first verse says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is God's. And in the next few weeks, I want to be talking more about this responsibility that we have to keep and to care for things God's entrusted us with, places like this that become a home, that become so valuable for people, and we share life's moments in it. Our home, our church home, this building, it's important. Our responsibility is important. So for the next few weeks, I'll be talking about house and home and care and maintenance and what our responsibility is. Today, though, I want to conclude by considering what motivates this. What motivates our stewardship responsibility? As Christians... We have something so much more to motivate us. God has blessed us beyond just the physical. God has blessed us with more than just, hey, here's the garden, take care of it. He's blessed us with things outside the natural, with the supernatural. And there's a, 
a passage of scripture that I want to use that I think just makes this point very well for us. It's Luke chapter 7. It's the close of the chapter, and I want to just read the, read the narrative to you because it explains it. It's Luke 7, beginning in, 30, in verse 36. Jesus has been invited to someone's house or someone's home. We can read it, and maybe we'll get the idea of which one it was. So verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt, forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Simon, a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, man who's supposed to know the word of God backwards and forwards, owns a house, and he invited Jesus over for a meal. But when Jesus arrived, was he made to feel at home? No. He really wasn't made to feel at home, was he? We don't read Simon and say, hey, Jesus, come on in. Make yourself comfortable. Make yourself at home. Simon didn't greet him with a kiss. Simon didn't wash his feet, which was the custom of the day. It's a very dusty, dry, arid place. Didn't take care of that. Didn't give him any oil to moisten himself up. Take care of dryness from, again, the arid, hot climate. The woman, she was different. Evidently, she had a previous encounter with Jesus. Her sins had been forgiven. She believed it. She had received it. 
And then she heard Jesus was in town. So what did she do? Where's he having dinner? She finds out he's having dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. She goes and gets her expensive jar of perfume. She goes over to Simon's house. Jesus' feet haven't been washed. She washes his feet with her tears. She dries his feet with her hair. Then she takes this perfume, expensive perfume, a treasure to her. She pours it out on his feet. This woman was more at home with Jesus than the host of the house who had invited him. She was comfortable to show him her true heart. Jesus said to Simon, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. But this woman, she has shown great love. She has shown great love. It's a, it's a response to the fact that her sins have been forgiven. And we have all been forgiven much. How much? Well, if you think about what sin has done, we have been forgiven a death sentence. O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, the victory over sin, the victory from the death sentence. Sin is death. And Jesus offers this great way out of death, everlasting life, and everlasting home. The woman realized this, and she responded. She responded in love. She gave herself to Jesus. She gave not only of herself, uh, humiliating herself, humbling herself, crying tears of joy. I can only imagine tears of joy that her sins have been forgiven. She cries at his feet, humble before him, washes his feet with her tears and her hair, then takes her most prized possession, expensive, pours it out on him. She gives everything. What an example. What an example to all of us Christians. Love, love, great love. Because you've been forgiven the great debt. Show that kind of love. Let that be our response. Let that be the motivation behind all of our responsibility. Our responsibility to care not just for God, God's uh, great blessing to us naturally, but love in all that God has blessed us with. Love for others. Our responsibility to our natural places, our, our natural family, and also our responsibility to our church and our church family. It's our spiritual home and our spiritual family. Let that love be our motivator. In a minute, we're going to sit down at the communion table and we're going to take time to just remember and call to mind the sacrificial death that Jesus Christ died for all of us on the cross. The fact that he forgives sins. The fact that he said to the Father, thy will be done. Not my will, thy will be done. I'll give my life. I'll pay the debt 
It's the whole reason for the cross. The whole reason for the cross is Jesus taking care of sin, forgiveness. It's why we take it seriously. That's why we're solemn and we're serious when we sit down at the communion table. And our communion table is open to everyone who's called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you haven't done that today, you can make that decision right now. You can make the decision to believe that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins. You can receive that forgiveness like that woman did. You can be freed from the death sentence. You can be set free. The apostle Paul wrote, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul declared that he had been sent by Jesus to both Jews and to non-Jews. Why? These are the words of Paul. He said to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness for their sins. And he went on to say, I preached, I preached to the Jews and to the non-Jews alike that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance. You can do that this morning. You can repent and turn from your sin. Call on God. Demonstrate your repentance and show love. Show love for others. Show love for Jesus. Give your life wholly over to him. We sung that song, I Surrender. I mean, that's what that woman was doing, surrendering her life completely, totally, showing Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving me from my sins. And you can repent of that right now if you've never done that and turn to God. And by faith, believe that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sin.